All right. On July 7, 2007, an organization got together and decided to have put together a new list of the seven wonders of the modern world. Now, you've maybe heard of the seven wonders of the ancient world, but a lot of those were so old and you couldn't actually see them anymore. They were kind of like all in the past. So this organization got together on 7-7 of 2007 and, and drafted this new list of modern wonders that you could actually go and see if you were so inclined. I'd like to show them to you this morning. All right, there we have uh, the pyramid at Chichen Itza in Mexico, the center of the Mayan civilization uh, in its day, that pyramid. Anybody been there? Cool. Awesome. Next one. Christ the Redeemer, the statue in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. It stands 125 feet tall atop uh, the Corcovado Mountain, high above Rio. Statue took five years to build, came from France. Christ the Redeemer. Anybody seen Christ the Redeemer in person? Nice. Nice. All right, next. Roman Colosseum in Rome. Uh, what can we say about that? Uh, Italy, giant 50,000-seat amphitheater. The center of Rome was built over 2,000 years ago, and it still influences our modern stadiums today. Roman Colosseum. Anyone? Have you been there? Yeah. All right. Next wonder. The Great Wall of China. The Great Wall of China. Uh, the Great Wall of China is 4,160 miles long. That is a long wall built to protect China from the invading Huns, Mongols, and other tribes and to unite fortifications under one defense system. It began in the 7th century B.C. and took hundreds of years to build. And from what I hear, I don't know if it's urban legend or not, but apparently you can see this structure from space. Anybody been to the Great Wall of China? One and two. Yeah, two. All right. Nice. Next. Let's see if I say this right. Machu Picchu. Am I saying that right? The city in the clouds was built 8,000 feet above sea level in the 15th century by the Incan emperor, well, Pacacuchuquet, maybe. Abandoned by the Incas, the city remained unknown until it was rediscovered by an explorer in 1911. It's a pretty recent discovery of the city in the clouds. Anyone been there? No. All right, all right, well, okay. Next one. What we'll of a field trip, yes, that's right. Uh, here we are, Petra in Jordan. The ancient capital city was built around 9 B.C. during the reign of King Eratos IV, Continue to flourish during the Roman Empire. So that's ah, kind of cool. Kind of cool. Anybody been there? Petra? Two? Two? I see two. Okay. Great. Next. This might be last. I think we're at seven. The Taj Mahal in India, built in 1630 by a grieving emperor, Shah Jahan, in honor of his dead wife. I'll do something equally su- superior to this, actually. When Christie passes away... Oh, I can beat that. This white marble structure <laughs> combines Indian, Persian, and Islamic style of architecture. Have you been to the Taj Mahal? One. One? All right. All right. Very good. Very good. We have some world travelers here. 
I feel bad because I've been to none of these. So, good for you. <laughs> good for you. Um, all that by way of introduction. And remember, I've got I to gotta somehow at some point connect this to the sermon. Connect. Get it? Connect. I already connected it, Scott. It's already done. Alex, I did it. Connect. All right. So, at some point in the sermon, this will play into whatever I'm going to say. Let me look at my notes real quick here and, and we'll, we'll see what we're going to do here. Yeah. All right. Got it. Okay. I think, I think we're all right. All right. <laughs> right. Go to Revelation chapter 21. It's a good Sunday to be worshiping here. Uh, what is better than talking about heaven? So we're talking about the seven wonders of heaven uh, these are not wonders that are official in any means. You're not going to find a denomination that's pointed these out as seven. I just chose seven things that I think are wonderful in Revelation 21 and 22. And I just want to point them out so that we can all kind of stand back and wonder uh, to, to a place that you've never, ever been. That you've never been. All right. Revelation chapter 21. Let's read the first few verses. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. We'll pause there. The best thing about heaven is the first thing we're going to talk about. The most amazing wonder of all. I I tried to think, should I save this for the end? But I thought, no, it's the first thing that heaven has talked about. It's the first thing you're going to read in this passage, so let's talk about it first. The most amazing wonder in heaven, number one on the list because it is the best, is God's presence. Heaven is wonderful because God is there. That's what the scripture says. He sees the city coming down and the first voice that he hears is in verse 3, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. And so the, the whole story of the Bible, you know, some people try to identify a theme of the Bible like what is the Bible about in one word and I don't know I've never tried to like figure out like one word but certainly one of the themes throughout the whole Bible is presence that God wants to get close to people so so you have you have the people of Israel that were in bondage to Egypt right for 400 years and then Moses comes in and and by God's power leads them out right and they go into the wilderness And what did they build in the wilderness according to God's specifications? They build a tabernacle. They build this this two-room tent. And the first room is the holy place. And the second room is the holy of holies. And they can only go in there like once a year. And even then, you know, that they went in there and they offered sacrifices. And in that holy of holies is the Ark of the Covenant. And you get this impression that what God is trying to say to these people is, I just want to live amongst you. I just want to be close to you. But I can't get too close to you because you're a sinful people and if you see my face, you'll die. 
but I want to get close to you. And so, and so there's that room, the Holy of Holies. You can only go in there one time a year, but it does show that God is getting closer to people. And then Jesus dies on the cross, right? So we're fast-forwarding hundreds of years, and now Jesus dies, and there's a curtain in the temple between the holy place and the holy of holies, and that curtain tears into two, saying, I'm getting closer to you people. I want you to have access to me. And so now we know that when you believe in Jesus, the Spirit lives inside you. And again, it's God saying, I want to get closer. I love you. I want to be closer to you. And now you have, in Revelation 21, now God dwells with people. He lives with us. And so it's always appropriate to say, God is everywhere. We call that omnipresent. He is everywhere. He's here. But this is talking about a reality that we have no words to, to, to really describe it fully, that God is there in a special way. In the book of Ezekiel, it describes a heavenly temple. And it says, the name of that city is God is there. You call this city, God's here. He's here. That this city is marked by the fact that we're going to experience God in a way we've, we've never had before. So, let me say this. Often, and I'm not saying this is wrong, there's a lot of reasons to look forward to heaven, Right? There's loved ones that have gone there before us that we'll be reunited with that are believers in Christ. The streets of gold. There's rewards for the service that you've done in this life. But heaven wouldn't be heaven if Jesus wasn't there. And I hope that that is the number one passion in your life as well. Heaven is heaven because God, because Jesus is there and I get to be with him forever. Because if, there can be other things we look forward to, but what, what makes heaven amazing to you? I think that's my question. And I hope the answer is, I get to be with my Savior. God is there. Number two, if you read verse four with me, <clears throat> he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. What God is doing here is he's removing all sadness. It says he wipes every tear from their eyes. There's no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Anything that caused you sadness in this life, it's gone. It's gone. And anything, any memories you have of this life and the pain you've suffered in this life, he's somehow, in a supernatural way, wipe those tears away. He, he's taken them away. Now, that presumes that there's going to be some sad things that we go through in this life. I mean, I hope you know that when you read this, and as wonderful it is to think that sadness is gone, there's an assumption there that I'm going to go through some things in this life that cause me pain. And those are the things that God is going to wipe away. And so just like Israel had to pass through that 400 years of being in slavery to Egypt, generations dying under slavery before Moses led them out, before they made the tabernacle in the wilderness where they could meet with God, before they could meet with God in the wilderness, 
They went through 400 years of slavery. Death. Harsh slave masters whipping them and telling them to make bricks faster. Bricks without straw once they got angry at them for what Moses was up to. And we will find similarities with those stories because we pass through a time where there's harsh uh, persecution of Christians certainly around the world happening here maybe not in a physical lock you up sort of way but, but certainly persecution of a different nature here in the States as well. And we pass through these things on the way to a great tabernacle with God where we get to be with Him. And He wipes those things away. Sadness is gone. Number three. Let's keep reading. He said to me, verse 6, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this. I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So there's this promise that if you're thirsty and you've drunk deeply from the water of life, if you've drunk deeply from the water Jesus offers, the forgiveness He offers you, then this place is your home. This is where you go. This is where you will be. So number three is, I think the wonder is, those that will be with us there. Those that will be with us there. And I think it will also be a maybe different kind of wonder, the people that will not be there. I mean, this verse shows pretty clearly there's those that are and those that are not. Now those that are, in verse 7, are called overcomers. I can almost hear Mandisa singing in my head right now. <laughs> can you? You know, overcomers will be in heaven with God. And if you're an overcomer, you'll be there too. Now this word was used earlier in the book of Revelation. If you remember, uh, we looked at it last fall. Um, I like to show you, remember there's like seven churches and we, we didn't have a chance to go through all seven of them, but there's like, you know, uh, uh, Thyatira, Pergamum, Ephesus. There's all these churches in the beginning of Revelation that, that Jesus is speaking to. And in every church, Jesus says, I've got a promise for you. I've got a promise for you. Here it is. And uh, I, wanna, I just want to show you those promises really quick. Uh, they'll be on the screen behind you. Revelation 2, seven. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, so again, a, a direct connection to the people of heaven that we're talking about right now, us, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. In a few minutes, we're going to read about the tree of life. It's there. It's in, it's in Revelation 21. Next one. Revelation 2.11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. What we just read about the second death for those that are the cowardly, unbelieving, vile, that is the second death in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. That won't touch you. You're an overcomer. Next one. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. The churches to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. 
I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. This one I don't see in Revelation 21. The other ones I, I've actually seen, but there's some hidden manna, hidden food, and, and, and this name with the, on the stone. Next one. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. We've talked about us ruling with Christ. He'll rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them like, to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give him the morning star. So we will reign with Christ. We'll look at that in a few minutes as well. Next verse. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. Remember the bride? We're the bride. We're dressed in white. We talked about that a few weeks ago. I'll never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. There's no getting on the outs of heaven once you're there. Your name is written permanently in the book of life. Next verse. Him who overcomes, I'll make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. I will also write on him my new name. This is what we're looking at, the new Jerusalem. It's the place where you're going to feel most at home. This is your place. We have one more? One more maybe. Two more overcomes. I give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. This one to me is just like, doesn't this almost take your breath away? You know, like you think, Jesus is on his throne and all of my pictures is I'm, I'm around the throne worshiping, but this one says somehow, mysteriously, I get to sit with Christ on his throne with him. I mean, I, I can't even tell you what that's about other than I know that we're united to Christ. And so if he's on the throne, we're on the throne. But man, this is the promise for the church. When Jesus wants to encourage the church to be an overcomer, like you can make it. If people resist you, you can do this. You're an overcomer. When Jesus wants to encourage the church, what does he promise them? Heaven. This is waiting for you. This is your inheritance. So keep persevering. Don't give up no matter what's coming at you. This is your promise. I think in verse 8, the first negative word for the people that won't be in the Jerusalem is cowardly. And I wonder if that is because these are the people that are not overcomers. These are the people when maybe they had some sort of part of the church at one point, but they said, uh, I, I, I can't do this. This is too hard. This is Following Jesus isn't easy. I'm out. It, it's the cowardly. And, and they're not there because they, they kind of gave up. And of course the unbelieving would be the second word because these are the people that don't believe in Christ. The vile are not there. Uh, the word vile refers back to the Old Testament in the law when it talks about things that are abominations to God. That's a similar Greek to Hebrew comparison there. The abominable things, the abominations when you read it in the Old Testament. And usually abominations were sexual immorality and idolatry. Those were like the abominations you read about. The vile will not be there. The murders, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars. And so I think, I think one of the things we will be shocked at are the people that we just assumed would be there, but they're not. Remember what Jesus said, 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but he who does the will of my Father. Some people are going to do miracles and wonderful things in the name of Jesus, and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, but their hearts were not truly believing in him. They looked really good, but they weren't really believing. And so I think there will be some shock. Like they always said, they always said they prayed that magic prayer about Jesus coming into their heart. They always said that, but there wasn't the reality. There wasn't the real faith there. They were trusting in some sort of, when I was seven years old, I said some magic words. You know, Our faith is one that is active. It's constant. It's holding to the gospel today. It's holding to the gospel in five years, in ten years. There's the proof that it was real. You hold it to the end. That's what Hebrews says. All right. The next wonder. Let's talk about the city itself. Uh, number four is the mysterious, beautiful city of God. Look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. One of the seven angels who had the seven bulls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down of heaven from God. It shone like the glory of God, and all of its brilliance was like that of precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked to me with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. He measured its wall and it was 144 cubits thick by man's measurement, which the angel was using. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, and the second sapphire, and the third uh, chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth uh, chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each gate was made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of pure gold like transparent glass. Now, let's talk about this city for a few minutes. Uh, I call it the mysterious, beautiful city of God because I don't know when, if you, when you read this, do, do you appreciate the fact that there's so many unknowns even with what we're told? Like there's a lot of things you read and go, okay, on the face of it, I get it, but do you probe deeper to understand the meaning behind those things? I mean, do you think... But the city has 12 gates, right? 12 gates, three on each side. And, and those 12 gates, they're not for keeping people out. The doors are always open. And so you could say they're decorative, or maybe you could say that they're, that they're speaking this word that everyone is welcome here. People from all nations that have believed in Christ are welcome here. You can come from the north, the south, the east, and the west. You are welcome in this place. And whether you're, you're from a primitive tribe in, in, in Australia somewhere, or whether you're from very modern America, 
you will feel at home here. The gates are open to you. And then you've got, you know, the, the, all of the, the gold and, and the precious stones. Have you heard the story about the guy who was uh, uh, like a billionaire and he wanted to be buried with all of his gold? He bought all this gold and was buried with it. He gets to heaven and he says, uh, I got all this gold to bring with me. And Peter says, why would you bring pavement into here? You know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> why bring your pavement? And, and, and I think there's that little bit of a nudge like, you're valuing this stuff so much. You're valuing your wealth so much. And here, we just walk on this stuff. We just walk on it. But, but, I, but I think, maybe even more to the point, it says earlier that this is a glorious city. It's filled with the glory of God. Uh, that's uh, verse 11. It's shown with the glory of God. And so I think part of the gold and the precious stones is just to say, look at how shining and beautiful this city is. It reflects its maker, the glory of God. It comes down out of heaven, so, so somehow there's the, the old heavens and earth that are done away with, and there's this coming down, the city's coming down, and it's a new heavens and a new earth, and I think the coming down indicates that God built this. You know, When we get together, we build skyscrapers, and we build cities, at our worst, we're like the Tower of Babel. We build that and say, we're going to be like God and reach our city to the heavens, you know. Uh, but this is God saying, no, I made this. I made this for you. It comes down from me. It's my gift to you. Uh, I think there's a lot of rich symbolism. Another one of the symbols that is completely mysterious to me uh, is the fact that the city is called a bride. Did you see that? It's called the bride in verse 9. I will show you the bride the wife of the lamb, and then the city comes down. Now, remember earlier, to the one who overcomes, I'll make them a pillar in the temple of my God. Well, this Revelation 21 actually says there's no temple here. Uh, is the city a symbol for us? Maybe. I mean, maybe that's really all it is. The city is us. Because you notice there's 12 foundations. It's the 12 apostles. And the church is built on the 12 apostles. You remember that's out of Ephesians? The church is built on the 12 apostles. So the city is built on perhaps us, the church, with Jesus as the chief cornerstone. But then you've got the gates that correspond to the 12 tribes, right? So Israel's part of this too. So you've kind of got God's people in the Old Testament, God's people in the New Testament, all of God's people. I'm not saying there's not a literal city in view here, but I'm saying there's a possibility this is just a grand metaphor for us being together as the people of God, a beautiful bride. I'll, st I'll still keep talking about it like it's a city because he measures the walls. By the way, measuring you ever wonder, like, why do you measure this thing? I mean, this is like a cube, by the way. You know, it's like 1,400, 1,500 miles. It's a cube, you know. And some people have thought, you know, it, on a grander scale, it's kind of like the dimensions of the Holy of Holies. It's a cube. And it's where God's presence is in that room, in that city. And we are there experiencing it the thing that the high priest can only go into that room one time a year, we get that every day, every moment, forever and ever and ever. Infinite love, 
infinite holiness and grace coming your way forever and ever. What in the world does that feel like? And that's what you get. Because you're there in this holy of holies, this place. Uh, others that think that this is a metaphorical city, note that it's you know 12,000 stadia in verse 16, 12 being a significant number for God's people, 12 tribes, 12 apostles, 12,000 stadia. And then you've got the thickness of the wall, 144 cubits thick. 144 is also a number we've seen in Revelation. Remember, the remnant, 144,000 people in the tribulation. These are all people kind of numbers. It's just interesting to think about. But then again, you've got all this gold and all of these real jewels and, and gates made of pearl. Like, what's that? Sounds like a city to me. Real gates. Um, wow, I should keep moving. The mysterious, beautiful city of God. Now, look at 23 through 25. I've got to kick this into high gear here. The city, oh, it was 22 actually is where we're at. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And, of course, we just looked at the verse that said, we are a pillar in the temple, interestingly enough. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it a lamp, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. Uh, No day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Just call your attention. Here it is. It's the light of Jesus. You don't need the sun. You don't need the moon. There is no night. And it makes you kind of think, God, you created the sun to give me a a reference point to how bright and beautiful you are. And we get to bask in that light forever. Verse 22 says, The Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is, is its lamp. Do you see the proclamation of Jesus' deity here? Jesus is God. Do you see it in that verse? The glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. So God is shining in his glory, and the actual lamp is Jesus. So then Jesus is God. A good verse to share with your, um, maybe Jehovah's Witnesses' friends that um, doubt Jesus' deity by the way, if you really want to secure the deal here on, on Jesus' deity, you then take them over to Isaiah. I'll read it for you. Um, Isaiah 60, verse 19 says, The sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you. For Yahweh will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. That's Psalm sixty nineteen. Yahweh will be your light. Old Testament prediction. Who's the light? Jesus. Then Jesus is Yahweh. I mean, there you are. He is who he says he is. He is the light, as God is the light. Okay, we'll wind it down to the last couple. Number six. Let's look at 22, 1 and 2. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. So where are we? We're now inside the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. 
and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. The Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Now, this is the view inside the city. You saw the walls, you saw the structure, you saw the gold stuff coming down, and now you see inside. And for those of you that worry that it's going to be like a big skyscraper, you go inside of it, and what do you see? A garden. A garden. Uh, people in urban ministries love to say that the, the, whole, the whole work of God starts in a garden, ends in a city. And that's true. It, it's a, from a garden to a city. But inside the city, you see a return to the Garden of Eden. You have this tree that you, that you can eat from, and it's the tree of life. And it's on either side of this river. And so, uh, number six, there's a garden inside the city of God. And when you, when you eat from this tree, and when you experience the healing God gives, you realize there's no more curse. And so I think this passage here is, supposed to, is trying to tell you, verse 3, everything bad that happened at the Garden of Eden, we messed up. Our own free will, we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I know God's reversing all that. He's putting everything back together. All right, here we go. Ready, kids? God is putting everything back together. Uh, when I was a youth pastor, I uh, went on a trip. I was in Texas. We were serving uh, uh, with a group down there in Austin. And we loaded kids up in, the, in, our, in our van that we rented, and we had a trailer on the back. And we stopped at a gas station one time on, on our way to the mission site in Austin. And everybody piled out of the van, you know, because everybody's got to go to the bathroom. We filled up with gas. And, and, and always, it always happens. Andrew, you're, you know this. It always happens. Someone says, oh, I left my wallet in the trailer. I've got to get back in the trailer. And I'm just like, I told you to keep your money with you, you know. Not, not, it doesn't help you in the back when you're hungry or thirsty, you know. Uh, so um, I sent one of my youth leaders back to unhitch, the, uh, not unhitch the trailer, but, but unlock the door and take this little doodad out of, the, out of the back of the trailer that holds it in place, right? So they unlocked it, opened it up, the student got the stuff out, and uh, then we all piled back in the van and took off, except this wasn't lashed to the door anymore. And so uh, I didn't know it, and I'm driving. I probably had driven a few miles, and someone... And I went to like a stoplight and someone pulled up beside me and they're just like pointing to the back of my trailer, you know. And so I get out of the, out of the, um, out of the vehicle and sure enough, the door is wide open and I lost a few things of luggage. Lost a few things of luggage. And so it's, it's on the road, on the highway. It's our luggage. Not all of it, probably two or three suitcases. So um, we went back and you know what happened? Some dear woman, a saint... She saw the luggage, she grabbed it, and took it back to the gas station we were at. And she got into the luggage, not to steal anything, but to find someone's name. And she called a parent. And she called a parent back in Watoma. And then the parent called me and said, go back to the gas station, that's where your luggage is. (laughs) Okay, I'll do that. So I drove back to the gas station. Got the luggage. Thank the woman. Oh, what, what an amazing woman. We locked it back up. 
We like to back up. Now, once Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the door swung open and chaos has reigned. And it wasn't so easy to put everything back in the way I did that day. <laughs> you know, some of the things that have exploded into the world as evil and sorrow and sadness, you, you just, the healing hasn't happened in this life. I mean, we haven't been able to put it away. The Pandora's box is open. I feel sad because my kids think Pandora's a radio station, but, you know, Pandora's box, you know, it's open and all sorts of things have come spilling out. And, and now you have this image in the garden where everything is put back the way it's supposed to be. You're back in front of the tree of life and you're just like, if Adam and Eve didn't eat from that tree of knowledge of good and evil, I'd be eating from this forever. And we don't have any of this. And God knew that. That was the plan. I mean, he, he gets it. He was in charge the whole time. But he puts everything back the way it is and it's lashed in such a way that the curse will never touch any of us ever again. No more sadness, no more pain, no more I really feel like sinning today. No more jealousy of people. No more, um, no more of, of those fun marriage issues, you know. My marriage group kicks off Tuesday, by the way. Don't forget, it's there, you know. We'll talk about some of those issues. No more of that stuff. No more curse. Perfection. It's all put back the way it was supposed to be put back. How's that, Alex? Is that pretty good? Is that pretty cool? Yeah. Good. Good. Lastly, lastly, and then we'll sing a few songs and we're going to take communion this morning together. Lastly. Ah, uh, where is it? Let's see. Chapter 22, verse 5 says, We will reign forever and ever. And in verse 3 it says, His servants will serve him. The word is in Greek is latruo. It can mean worship. It can mean service. It means both, really. Latruo. So, here, finally, some of us think that heaven's going to be one big worship service. And in a sense, it is because everything we do is going to glorify God. Everything's going to be an act of worship. But we're going to have tasks. We're going to reign with Him. We're going to serve Him. Adam it was in the Garden of Eden, paradise, and he had stuff to do. Name the animals, tend to the garden, do these things. And so will we. We'll have tasks. And, and I have no idea what those tasks will be, but I know they'll end up honoring and glorifying God and we will feel fulfilled as we do them for Him. We'll be given tasks. Seven wonders. Seven wonders. And they are amazing. What jumps out to you in that list? What jumps out to you? Can I close with Colossians 3? Worship team, you can come up even. And get ready. Colossians 3. Verse 1 says, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. And then, the, and then he says, Put to death whatever belongs to your evil and the earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed. And he goes on and, and then uh, he says in verse 12, As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive what other grievances you may have against one another. All these wonderful things. 
And these are heavenly things. So there's, I've noticed in literature today, there's this push to say, kind of like, heaven is now. And there, there's a book called Heaven is Now, actually. I haven't read it. I don't know if it's good or not. But there, I, I've read books that kind of say, we bring heaven to earth. And on one hand, I say, oh, yes, because if, we're, if our minds are set on things above, if I'm being compassionate and loving and forgiving, even forgiving the worst, I am bringing a little bit of heaven to earth. And people are experiencing that through me. If I feed the poor, if I care for people that don't have as much as I have, if I welcome people into my household, I have loved people with a heavenly love. On the other hand, we're not there yet. And there's a whole lot we're going to experience when we get there. And so in that sense, heaven is not now. Heaven is for the overcomers. Heaven is future. And I hope that as a church you can hold those intention. All that I do for Christ, I want to bring heaven here. But I know that ultimately this earth is not my home. I want to give people a taste of heaven now so that they might desire it in fullness later. Let's pray. Jesus, as we praise you now, for your awesome promises of heaven. As we go to your table in a few minutes, may you fill us with the joy and the wonder of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.